Hi, Gateway. My name is Nathaniel. I'm one of the leaders here at Gateway Church, and it's my privilege to talk to you today. Now, obviously, I'd much rather be doing it in person, and I very much miss seeing you all Sunday to Sunday. But whilst we're doing church online, I really hope that today's uh, passage blesses you. We are in our True and Better preaching series, and uh, we're looking at the Gospel of John. Today, we're in John 3. And I want to start by talking about our wedding day. Now, I brought a very special treat for you all, actually, and this is our uh, wedding album. And you can see the happy couple there. That's us on the front, just married. Here we are. What a perfect picture it paints as Emma and I came together. That was our union. You can see, obviously, she's not aged a day. I perhaps have. I'll let you press pause on the video later and do a little spot the difference. You can see how much I've aged in 10 years or so. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be talking an awful lot about the analogy of the wedding day and Jesus as the true and better bridegroom. Now, the Bible actually talks an awful lot about weddings, and weddings are used throughout the Bible to paint a picture. It describes our relationship with Jesus. It describes our relationship with him both here on earth and in heaven. And we're going to take a look this morning at why this is significant for us, that Jesus is the true and better bridegroom. We're going to read together John's Gospel, chapter 3, starting in verse 22. Let's read. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John was also baptising at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who you testified about. Look, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So we find here a scene where Jesus and John are both baptising and an argument breaks out. The passage tells us that it's about ceremonial washing or some translations say purification. People were frustrated and they didn't understand what was going on. There's a, there's a guy over there and he's baptising people. Is this right? Did you know? As a quick aside, we absolutely believe in baptism here at Gateway Church. And when we're back together again, I hope to be able to celebrate many, many baptisms together. I say this to be clear because the argument that broke out in my message this morning is not about the relevance of baptism. One commentator helpfully puts it this way. The debate did not focus on the relative merits of the baptism administered by John versus the baptism administered by Jesus, but over distinctly Jewish purification rites. 
Today's passage then is not about the merits of baptism. As you'll see, our focus needs to lie elsewhere. Back to our story then, and John the Baptist is quick to calm the argument and set the record straight. And he tells them that they're arguing over the wrong thing. You can imagine it. He's there saying, hey guys, why are you worried about ceremonial washing? Do you not know that the one that we've been waiting for, the bridegroom himself, is over there? You're focusing on the wrong thing and you're totally missing the point. Back to my wedding day. I'm standing at the front as handsome as ever. I'm gushing with pride as I'm watching my beautiful bride walk down the aisle. The mothers are gushing with tears on the front row. Every eye is on the happy couple. Every eye is on the beautiful bride walking down the aisle. Imagine in that moment, your friend nudges you and says, dude, dude, are you having the chicken or the fish for lunch? You'd be like, what, why are you talking about that now? Why are you worried about your stomach? The bride's walking down the aisle. We're about to witness this beautiful union and you're worried about that. You're missing the point. It would be like going to Disney World and never leaving the car park. Imagine you get back from your trip and you start showing your friends all the photos. Where you parked the car. This one's a photo to show how straight the rows of cars were. Your friends would quite rightly turn around to you and say, what about the roller coasters? The whole point of going to Disney World is to get on the rides and watch the fireworks and have fun. And that's the first thing that we need to draw from the passage today. Don't miss the point. And it's something that we can all be guilty of doing. Think about our Sunday mornings for a second. The times that you've sat in church, and I know I've done it as well, and you start to worry about the temperature of the room or the comfiness of the chairs. Your mind wanders to what's for lunch or how good the offering of biscuits is going to be at the end of the service. And in those moments, we can totally miss the fact that we are at church so that we can come face to face with the risen King Jesus, the King of Kings. As Christians, we've got a wonderful opportunity to come together and meet with Jesus, our Saviour, and we're to not miss the point. I wonder how you're feeling about that at the moment. Are you finding your mind wandering as you're sat listening to me on your sofa? Are you annoyed that church has to take place online, that you're engaging with the service week to week through a screen? See, these, can, these things can be issues and they're frustrating for me as well. I, I really do wish we're all together but they aren't the issue. We do church, you're watching me today because we don't want to miss the point. And that's Jesus. The reason that you've tuned into today's service is for Jesus. So before we go any further, I just want to stop and take a moment and ask God to focus our hearts that we might find him in this online service. Don't miss the point. Today, the one that we're singing about the one that I'm talking about is Jesus. That's who all this is for. John then moves to paint this beautiful picture of Jesus as the bridegroom. That's where the focus of our attention should be. And he's very deliberate in his language as he does so. And I'm just going to reread a couple of the verses to help us focus on it. Starting in verse 28, it says, You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. So John picks up here with that language of weddings that we were talking about earlier. And 
that means that we should probably identify the main players in this wedding picture. See, at my wedding, I was the groom and Emma was the bride. And we're making a lifelong commitment to one another, telling the gathered crowd and the world about our faithfulness to one another. So how does that apply to this wedding scene here? Well, first, we've got our bridegroom, our groom in the story. And from this story, we're to see that that is Jesus. When the argument breaks out and people started grumbling, John is quick to tell them not to miss the point. The bridegroom is over there. He's the one that you should focus on, not me. In this way, John calls himself the best man in our wedding scenario. He says in verse 28, I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. At a wedding, we're not to focus on the best man. It's all about the couple. Now, my first job out of university was working for an organization that put on music events for churches and other organizations. And that music was, quite obviously, rap. I was the stage host, and uh, somehow, inexplicably, the job that I did uh, led me to hosting a few rap concerts in Manchester. I know what you're thinking. I'm exactly the guy that you turn to when it comes to rap. But it was my job to get on stage and get the audience excited for the artists that they'd come to see. Despite the fact that, and as I'm sure you've probably guessed by now, I was woefully out of my depth. I was also under no illusion that people hadn't come to, to see me. They hadn't paid their money and bought their tickets and turned out to come and see the guy that was warming up. They'd come to see the brilliant musicians and artists. It wasn't my job to stand on stage and take all the credit. It was simply to point to the ones that they'd all been waiting to come and see. And so it is with John. He's there to point to the one that we've all been waiting for. In that sense, I imagine these lines being delivered with joy. The groom is here. John's job is done. His joy is complete. So who then is the bride? Paul uses similar wedding language in his letter to the Ephesians. Husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So there's the hint as to who the bride is in the story. Let's read Ephesians 5 verses 23 to 27. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If Christ is the groom, then the church, us, we're the bride. John says we belong to the bridegroom. Think about that for a minute. You, right now, wherever you are, you're the bride of Christ. You're loved the way that a groom loves his bride. You're chosen like a groom chooses his bride. And you are committed like a groom and a bride. Back to those wedding day vows that Emma and I spoke to each other. I stood there and made promises to her and she to me. We promised to love each other, to be faithful to each other as long as we live. In that moment, every other potential partner, every other suitor was gone. It was me and Em promising faithfulness, love, and security. That's what this passage means for us, the bride to the groom. Jesus is the truest, best, and only groom the bride will ever need. And this has got implications for every area of your life and for our lives as a church together. If you feel alone, 
then you've got one who is always with you, who has promised to be faithful to you and is always there to talk to and to bring you comfort. If you feel unloved, then come to Jesus and remember that he loved you so much that he gave his life for you. If life hasn't quite gone to plan, perhaps you've got some unfulfilled dreams, things that just haven't worked out, then you need to find your fulfillment in Jesus who promises you life with him. It might not be your dream as you saw it, but it will be full of love and adventure. It also means that we should have a focus beyond ourselves. John goes on to say in verse 30 that he, Jesus, must become greater and I, we, John, must become less. If we see Jesus as he truly is, then any sense of self-reliance and selfishness should be removed. Andrew Haslam, an advanced leader based in London, wrote about this passage and the fact that taking John's lead, we're not living this life for our own glory, but for his. He increases and we decrease. Andrew Haslam said, there is only pain in obscurity if your deepest desire is for recognition. But this self-worship will diminish as our love and longing for the glory of Jesus grows. Now I'm married to Emma, I've got responsibilities. I've got someone depending on me. And I've got to do things differently. I need to think about what she wants and her needs. I can't just do what I want, head on out every night or cook meals just for myself and live like I did when I was single. Married life brings changes. And when I got married, I needed to change. If you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, then you've committed to Christ. For those of us who are Christian, that means that we need to make changes to how we live. We're not what our lives revolve around anymore. If you're a Christian, then you aren't what your life is centered around anymore. The way that we live, our lives should point to the one that is greater than us. We live for Jesus. And that might be hard, learning to put down your own selfish ambition. But Jesus is totally worth it. He died for you so that you could be caught up in this great faith adventure. This isn't something that we have to do, but something that we get to do. Do you need to repent for being too self-focused or self-reliant at the expense of investing in a relationship with Jesus? This is also important for us as a church. See, the Bible's clear on this one. The church, and that means gateway church, is the bride of Christ. We're his. That means that we don't belong to the elders. We belong to Jesus. And that's good news. It's good news for churches who have leaders that fall short because they can take comfort in knowing that the church doesn't depend on a leader. It depends on Jesus. It means that the church, the global church and gateway church has security even in this coronavirus season. We may have worries about what church life looks like during this pandemic, engaging with services online. The fact that we can't meet together. We might have some nervousness about what church might look like when we're allowed to meet again. But remember, in all of this, we shouldn't miss the point. The church is Jesus's, and we need to focus on him. That's where the church's security is. Jesus is building his church, and nothing will overcome it. This is also good news for those of us who lead churches, because it means that this isn't our church, it's Jesus's. Leading a church isn't a chance for us to make a name for ourselves. We've got to do what John says and make Jesus greater and make ourselves less. 
John's words then are a helpful reminder for me and for my fellow elders. This isn't a chance for us to make a name for ourselves. It's not a chance for us to compare our ministries to the church down the road or to the other online service we might have caught. It's a privilege for us to make this all about Jesus. And it's my privilege today to be talking to you about the one that you should focus on. Don't miss the point. It's all about Jesus. PJ Smythe once helpfully extended the wedding metaphor by saying that if Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride, then church leaders are like the bridesmaids, running around in the background to make sure everything is perfect. Every stumbling block is removed so that the wedding continues perfectly. It isn't our job to build the church for ourselves, but for Jesus. If you've got leadership responsibility at Gateway Church, leading a life group or leading worship, then make verse 30 your life motto. He, Jesus, must become greater, and I, we, must become less. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, what's in it for me then? If the whole point of all this is to make less of ourselves, then that doesn't sound like the best thing that I can be doing with my life. What about a little bit of me time? What, you know, what's so wrong with spending some time on me? Remember what we keep coming back to. Don't miss the point. Jesus is the answer to life. And this passage tells us that everything we have is a gift from God. And that includes our relationship with Jesus. Think about the tone in which John, our best man, is talking about all this. He isn't begrudgingly pointing people to Jesus like he's out of a job. He's doing it joyfully. He tells us in verse 29 that joy is mine and is now complete. A life, with, a life lived with Jesus then isn't a life of resentment but an adventure of faith. We get to live our lives with someone who loves us. And sharing that brings us joy. In this sense, what's in it for you? A relationship full of joy with the saviour of the world. And by the way, this relationship between bride and groom, between us and, and Jesus, was something that was predetermined from creation and something that will be celebrated in heaven. It spans the breadth of eternity. Revelation 19 paints a picture of a wedding reception. There's dancing and singing and praise and a feast. Let's read that passage together from Revelation 19. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. This is a wedding commitment that lasts for eternity. A promise given to us that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. That's the promise that's given to you in these verses today. That's something for you to hold on to. A feast is being prepared for you. And what do you need to make sure that you're there? Well, John tells us that as well. And we're going to read it together. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for you to take the punishment that you deserve on himself, then you're his. 
What did Paul say to the church in Ephesus? Christ gave himself up for us so that we may be presented blameless and without blemish. Christ gave himself up on a cross so that you wouldn't have to. And you are presented as perfect and spotless with fine linen, bright and clean. What does that remind you of? And you remain with Christ now and for eternity in heaven. There's also a warning here for those who don't believe in Jesus. John frames it here as a life or death decision, blessing or wrath. For John, this is binary. You can't pick and choose the bits that you want to believe. This isn't a theological version of a pick and mix stall. You can't sit on the fence on this one. It's one or the other. If you want this message to be true for you, if you want the perfect relationship with Jesus, the true and better bridegroom, a life of love and faithfulness and adventure that lasts for eternity, then you need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he loves you personally and wants you to make a choice, like a couple saying their wedding vows, to love him and live for him. And if you've made that choice, then you need to live in the fullness of it today. Don't be like the absent partner who says all the right things on the wedding day before running back to a life of singleness. If you've made a choice to love and follow Jesus, then make sure that your life lines up to the commitment that you've made. Make him greater and yourself less. Remove selfish ambition, self-reliance and sin and invest in your relationship with Jesus. Pray, read your Bible and live in the fullness of that relationship. It's worth investing in because it lasts forever. So today, don't miss the point. Come to the truer, better bridegroom, the one in whom all security, love, and faithfulness can be found. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our saviour, our true and better bridegroom, the one who was promised from the beginning and the one who is victorious in the end. Thank you that you have made a way for us, your bride, to be in relationship with you now and forever. Help us to live our lives with you at the centre, putting aside our own selfishness and making much of you, because you deserve our praise and our lives, because you gave yours up for us. Lord, help us to be faithful to you as you are always faithful to us. I put my trust in you again today. Amen.